Hello, this is Emily Schwartz. I am sitting here with my good friend, Charlie Bowman, and you are listening to the first episode of our new podcast, Victory Labs. Woohoo! We are really excited to be here. Um, we wanted to create a podcast about tennis, and um, you know, we found that some of the stuff out there was okay, but we wanted to bring something to the table that was fun, that was playful, that made um, tennis feel really accessible and awesome and not crazy to understand or not boring or anything like that. So um, here we are. And yeah. we're, we're really, really excited. Yeah, and if you're looking for more hardcore recaps and analysis, this probably won't be necessarily the podcast for you. I think we're going to try to kind of think outside the box and uh, try to kind of reach a little more mainstream audience who might know a lot about tennis or might know a little about tennis, but are, is kind of interested in, you know, having a little fun with it. Totally, totally. So why don't uh, you talk a little bit about your background? Yeah, my resume. Oh, yeah. Oh, my tennis resume is very, very uh, distinguished, I oh, would say. Yeah. Um, I have maybe touched 10 rackets in my life. Oh, man, Probably, that is distinguished. Yeah. <laughs> Very. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, I, I grew up in California, um, played football, basketball, and baseball. So I'd like to think on this podcast, I'll kind of look at it from a what you might consider a more normal sports fan oh, look. Um, and yeah, my, you know, my tennis expertise are pretty limited, but uh, I follow it. Um, you know, I like kind of watching all the, the main guys play and gals. Uh, and excited to kind of contribute uh, where I can. Awesome. Uh, so I grew up um, playing tennis, uh, not particularly well, but playing it. And I played throughout school. Uh, didn't play much in college, but after uh, I graduated and moved to Washington, D.C., um, I started playing again some more. Um, I am from Pennsylvania, so unfortunately that does make me a Philadelphia Eagles fan. We may be talking about, you know, occasionally golf or football or something else that's not directly tennis related. So we hope you're okay with that. I'll definitely try to tie in some uh, more mainstream sports cool. if I can. Cool, cool, cool. Um, but yeah, that's my background. Uh, we, are, we currently, both of us live in Washington, D.C., which is pretty much the tennis capital of the world. Um, definitely. Definitely the tennis capital of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully we can come to you guys weekly. Uh, that's our goal. Um, you might be wondering what the heck is a victory lob? It's a play on the word victory lap, again, in the, sort of the spirit of making tennis fun, um, even funny. Um, we thought that that would be a cool name for the show. So. Yeah. And like Emily mentioned, uh, we're going to try some kind of fun uh, new things on the podcast. Yeah. We could play a lot of games. I like games. Uh, you know, we're going to look at people's Instagrams. Yes. And we're going to uh, give you as much hardcore analysis as we can, yeah. which will be very limited. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're not John McEnroe. No. But, but we Chris are curious. Tyler. We're really curious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who's your favorite announcer? You know, like these types of things we'll cover on this cast. And we're excited to have you guys with us. Um, with that, let's get it going. Let's do it. So what are we talking about today? So I think, uh, what do we want to cover? So today is January 9th. Um, and in just over a week, we have the Australian opening open starting. Uh, which, you know, I'm super psyched about. Yeah. I think it's great. Last year, I actually woke up early in the morning 
frequently to try to catch some of these matches. Uh, I didn't, but I, I was <laughs> there not, in Charlie? spirit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's tough. I think the Australian Open's really tough for, again, you know, you talk about Americans, Americans especially, right? Because the, the time difference is so crazy. And um, it's, I don't know, it's not as storied as some of the other Grand Slams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people can kind of forget that it's there sometimes. The courts are blue. Totally. Um, it's hot. It's yeah. really hot. Um, but that starts in, uh, again, just over a week. And I think there's some really exciting stuff going on right now. We were talking earlier, you know, before we actually sat down to start recording this, that tennis is one of those weird sports where there's not much of an off season. Yeah. Like, ten- like players are playing pretty much year round with like kind of a break in November, December. So it's for those, you know, who really only kind of follow the slams. Um, there have been a couple warm up tournaments, um, you know, end of December, early January, and it's been cool to see these players coming out of their, you know, hibernation a little bit now that they've, you know, had some Thanksgiving feasts and uh, time at home with their families for the holidays. Yeah. Back on the court, playing some awesome stuff, both the men and women. And um, I think the Australian Open has a lot of promise this year. Yeah. I'm psyched. Yeah. I, to be completely honest, I follow this tournament probably the least of at least any Grand Slam. And I think... You know, part of what we're going to do in this cast is talk about some of our favorite Grand Slams and why we like them. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, I I was going to ask you this and I'm curious to get your perspective. Like, uh, you know, I've noticed that a lot of sporting events and you look at like the Olympics like this is when there's this huge disparity in time difference between Mm -hmm. like the event. It's typically, at least for Americans, um, much lower viewership. Totally. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm wondering, I don't know if there's a way that, I don't know how we fix that or how to, you know, get around that type of stuff. Yeah, well, the Olympics is an interesting comparison, right? Because there's kind of a group aspect to it, right? You know, you're rooting for your home country. Right. Whereas tennis is so individualized, um, you know, unless you really follow either the sport or the player very, very closely, I'm not sure there's a really, you know, like good reason for you to adjust your schedule to necessarily watch the Australian Open. Um, And, you know, for the tournaments in in Europe, uh, and of course, when the US Open is is here in New York, um, it's, you know, it's it's easy to tune in if you really want to, whereas the Australian Open, you're going to have to go out of your way if if you want to watch that. Um, I have actually kind of always been really fascinated by the Australian Open. Mm -hmm. And I think it actually had to do with the fact that it was what I heard the least about. And I was like, what is this, right? You know, here's here's this fantastic tournament in this country that I know very little about, Mm -hmm. right? Have you ever been to Australia? Nope. No, okay, nor have I. And um, I think for me, I wanted to kind of understand it better, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't getting a lot of coverage here. And um, I wanted to see what it was all about. So I actually really like the Australian Open a lot. Um, It's kind of for, I don't know, people might hate me for saying this. I do feel like it's like the boring tournament, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, There's not much tradition around it. Um, There's not a lot of fanfare around it. Um, I think the U.S. Open is super boisterous, right? Like, you're in New York City. It's loud. You know, you feel the city energy. Whereas I'm not sure you really get that in at the Australian Open. It feels a little more sterile. 
Um, but then again, that's my perspective here in the States, right. watching it, you know, when it's 16 hours ahead of me in Melbourne. Um, There's millions of Australian fans that are currently like, I hate the US <laughs> Open because it's on 16 hours behind or whatever. Exactly. 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 Yeah. I mean, one of the things I was going to say about the Australian Open and this time difference is that um, I cannot watch sports non-live. I cannot watch it delayed. Yep. And I can relate. So if you're waking up at four in the morning to watch the finals of the Australian Open, mm-hmm. they're going to ESPN or whoever's carrying that is going to replay that, right? More prime time, Correct. maybe at noon, maybe at like 5 p.m., whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and knowing already the outcome, I there's no way that I won't know the outcome, right? right? Checking right. Twitter, right. reading ESPN.com. Right. Like you really have to almost like force yourself into a bubble to not know who wins. Right. And then for me, it's kind of shot. Right. That's always been my problem with right. with sports that are on, even the Olympics or whatever, right. is that it's already happened and well, I'm not going to watch that tomorrow. Yeah, well, how do you get your sporting news? Uh, Twitter. Yeah, that's mainly how I do it. I wake up in the morning, I check my Twitter feed, and that at you know 6 a.m. on the East Coast is might be the middle of the day somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so if there's anything worldly or whatever... Mm-hmm. Uh, but mainly Twitter. I mean, I'll, I'll go read the more opinionated columns on like ESPN or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to not, I want to, I want to stay up on what's happening in sports. And that means like finding out the information when it comes out and when it's, watching it on tape delay or something like that. It's just, to me, it's, it's kind of weird. The one thing that I think that the Australian Open does have going for it um, in the States with the delay is that it does give people the opportunity who really, let's say, you know, there's another sport you don't care about, right? Like, let's say you could not give two cents about the NBA playoffs, Mm -hmm. right? You miss the NBA playoffs, whatever, you don't care. Right. At least with the delay that you get with the Australian Open, you know, you could be at the office or, you know, doing whatever. And if you do happen to catch it on the delay, like that's not an experience you're not going to have with another sport necessarily. Um, So in terms of like serendipitously accidentally catching some of it, I think that's kind of cool that you get to experience here. Um, But I'm with you the same page. If I'm not watching it live, like, you know. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to hold out. I I know. And like, it's already live, basically broadcasted Mm -hmm. on Twitter anyway. Mm -hmm. So whenever you're checking, I mean, it's essentially like you put your phone, like you turn it off and you don't listen to anyone and sit in your house until like it comes on in the U.S. on tape delay or whatever. So are you this way with TV shows? Uh, No. I don't care about that. It's just sports. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird like that, but like, there's just something about being in the moment and seeing it because I'm always worried like an amazing play yeah. is going to happen or a five hour Djokovic Federer final. Yeah. Like knowing that one, I got to go watch a five hour final on yeah. tape delay is yeah. brutal. Yeah. But it's also like you want to be in the yeah. moment and you want to be experiencing it in the moment. I mean, that's one of the other things I was going to say about the Aussie Open that I think is kind of weird relative to like American sports, I would say, is that typically like the first kind of major event of a sporting season or the last are the main, like the the very important huge ones, right? So I'm thinking like, okay, you have the Australian Open is the the first Grand Slam of the year. 
So if you look at something like golf, the Masters mm-hmm. is by far the most, is in my opinion, the best tournament. Mm-hmm. It is the first Grand Slam of the year. Uh, NASCAR, the first event of the year, the Daytona 500, is that. And I think what makes the Australian Open a little weird, at least to us, is that it's not the most kind of popular thing. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing is, at least here, it's not advertised much. Yeah. Like other sporting events are advertised. Even golf is, you know, that's going to be advertised way more than the Australian Open is. Right. Um, both on television and in general. You know, if you're riding around on the subway or the um, metro here in the States, you're likely not going to run into much advertising for it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, of course, you know, there's advertising for the Super Bowl everywhere, or for the Masters everywhere, or even like the Daytona 500, right? right? You know when that is happening. Right. My guess is people don't, a lot of folks don't even know the Australian Open is this huge opening opening day, right? In, in essence, for the tennis world. And um, it goes goes on like very quietly without without fanfare here. So I have a question for you. Okay. And I might have just forgot it, but uh, and our brains are busy. It's yeah. Cool. Sorry. <laughs> Getting a little nervous. I'm like, do I look at the ball? Do I look at Emily? Do yeah. You the... you you can't see this right now, but um, as we're learning what we're doing, <laughs> the uh, the ball that Charlie is mentioning is this. Um, it kind of looks like a little. It looks like it's something out of Wally, really. Little yeah. like robot um, podcast mic that's on a little tripod. But yeah, I don't know if it's telling our podcast future. I remember what I was going to say. It was. Okay. It was telling the podcast future. So you were talking about like uh, the Australian Open isn't as advertised um, here or whatever. Mm-hmm. Question for you: Do you think if we had an American tennis player that was on the level of Nadal? Djokovic, Federer, Murray, if it would be advertised as much. Or if it if it would still kind of continue to be like yeah. the same popularity yeah. and the amount of advertising uh, up to the event. Or if we had like a number two seed in the Aussie Open, if it would kind of just be a, a much bigger story. I think if... I think if America had a tennis player who was top five, it would be advertised more. I do. Definitely. No question. And it's kind of like, it, it would remind me of like the Tiger Woods effect yes. with golf. Yes. Even though golf is kind of like, I wouldn't say it's an American thing, but it's it's very much centralized. The PGA yeah. Tour is here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think if there was like a really popular, like look at Serena, right? I mean, Serena right. gets the most, she gets a ton and more And she's coverage. been fantastic for tennis. Yeah. She really has been. And Sloane Stevens, mm-hmm. fantastic for tennis. And I think back to, you know, when we had Pete Sampras, when we had Andre Agassi, um, you know, I think that you talked about being in a golden age right now, right? I think that was another golden age for American tennis. That was the golden age for American yeah. tennis in a lot of ways. Then, you know, you had Jimmy Connors beforehand and, um, you know, that that U.S. Open, Jim, Jimmy Connors last run, right? Like, I feel like that America was more into tennis for that 1990, what was it, 1991 U.S. Open than any other moment I can think of right. in, in tennis history because it was this, well, in his case, it was the resurgence of, of a former American superstar, but... Right. And I mean, if you think about it, tennis is a very individual sport. Totally. And so if you are at the top of your individual sport in America, you will get a lot of coverage. Yes. Right. So like, okay, the 
New England Patriots win the Super Bowl. Well, Tom Brady gets a lot of stuff, but it's also a team sport. But, like, look at Serena Williams. I mean, she gets covered like crazy because it's an individual sport. Sports person of the year. Extremely, yeah. SI Sports Person of the Year. She's on, like, you know, ESPN, like, the body issues. She has all these endorsements. So, if you get to that stage in America, you can make one a lot of money and have, like, a very high exposure. It's a very, like, meta American phenomenon yeah 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 i do i do really think that um we're america to have um but you know well yeah i think we're america to have um a men's player in the top four the top five it would be a different story but what's hard for me to admit right now is like serena is that on the women's side true and that advertising isn't there Mm -hmm. right so does it have to be a male athlete figure to to get that kind of response from advertisers and endorsements? And yeah, um, it's hard because you know Serena's you know Serena's amazing, right? And yeah. and she's again as I sports person of the year. She's body issues. She's um, like everyone knows who Serena Williams is, and yet like that, you know, her spotlight in the Australian Open is very much like second or third to all this you know like publicity that she has. Um, elsewhere. True, but I also would say that she. I and I don't. You can. I don't. You could maybe quote me on this, but I think she's by far the highest paid woman athlete in the world. Right? Is there I, anyone that? I want to say that's true, I, I but I haven't even really thought. But I, I just assume that she. I mean, she makes a ton of money off endorsements and just I don't know winning purses and things like that. Yeah, I, don't, I can't even think of another. Where it's it's that big, but uh, um, okay. So, do we want to get into some of our favorite grand slams? Yeah, we can do that. Okay. So when when we sat down to try to start doing this um, and and figure out, all right, like what are we gonna enjoy talking about? What do we think others might enjoy listening about? And you know, the grand slams are starting right now, and um, I really wasn't sure if I had a favorite grand slam. And I, you know, tend to think of myself as being relatively holistic. And I, I look at everything for the values it brings to the table. Like, they're not all apples, you know. Like, they're, they're all a little different. And um, I mentioned really enjoying the Australian Open because I think, for me, especially growing up, it was a little more... <laughs> it sounds funny to say it was more foreign because it's actually, like, the closest thing to, you know, culturally American yeah. as any of the other Grand Slams. But because it was so far away and distant and unfamiliar, um, I was really interested in it. I think if I had the opportunity to go to only one Grand Slam ever in my life, it would have to be Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah. By far my favorite. By far. Why? Like not, not even touching is Wimbledon. Yeah. One, so you had asked me a question earlier, like how did I get hooked on tennis? Yeah. And one of the things that I totally forgot about that I was just uh, reminded of was um, when I was in like eighth grade, I went to Scotland with my dad. Okay. And it was during the Wimbledon time. So it was like that June, July yeah. uh, time frame. And I remember... It was the first time that Andy Murray like really like went And that was so exciting. Yeah, right. It was so exciting. And to be in Scotland where he's from, it was like the most insane I've ever seen it. And I was like, all right, this tournament is 
rad, first of all. And the fact that they play on grass, it's super, like, you wear, like, I've always wanted to go to a sporting event where you wear, like, a tuxedo or, like, a suit, This too. might be the closest to that. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Kentucky Derby in Wimbledon. Like, it just looks so classy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by far my favorite tournament. Uh, that's the one that I probably watch, like, five to ten times more, like, coverage yeah. and matches in. Um, you know, I, yeah, it's just, like, it's... It reminds me of the Masters in golf, right? It's just pristine. Well, you know, there's no green jacket, but, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's close. Um, were you, like, as a kid, did you pay attention to tennis at all beforehand? Or were you just totally swept up in this momentum that you had never experienced before and it was just, it just sunk in for you? Yeah, I mean, I don't, like, I don't recall, like, any, at any point in my life where I was, like, given a racket or... You know, like I, I probably use tennis balls more for like baseballs or something right. like that. You know, it's just right. not. And I grew up in like a pretty like maybe affluent area of California where they did play tennis. Like my uh, our family friends, he was like the coach of the women's tennis team at Stanford, wow. and so like we knew about it. But like, yeah, I just never. I mean, it was always like football, basketball, baseball was just kind of ingrained. Which I'm bummed at because I wish I would have played tennis and gotten like a college scholarship and like. Been well, it's too late for the college scholarship, but you know, <laughs> you, you still get time. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I might have to pick it up sometime. I, I think it'll happen. Yeah. No, Wimbled- Wimbledon's fantastic. Again, if that if that was like the one Grand Slam, I could go to in my life. I, I definitely think it would have to be Wimbledon, and I think a lot of it for me is very similar. And like, it's just um, it's so elegant. And it's so weird. Like, what other sporting event is that elegant? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Just, and it's it's so interesting because I don't even necessarily think all tennis should be elegant. But there's something about Wimbledon that it's so different and distinct yeah. that, um, yeah. I'd, like, probably lick the grass at Wimbledon. Really? Yeah. Really? I think so. Why? Well, I mean, there's two places I would lick grass. Augusta National, where they play the Masters. And sorry, I brought that up way too many times and Wimbledon because it's just like the most perfect manicured grass in the world in my opinion would you look the clay at the French Open oh no gross it might be more nutritious you might get some like (laughs) cool minerals out of there Wimbledon will get you like a little bit of fiber but you'll get like you know minerals and iron out of okay That'll be this like what podcast I 30. We're going <laughs> to test. We're going to taste different courts and see which one doesn't kill us. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. So what are your thoughts on, uh, I w- want to hear your thoughts first on French and then on uh, the U.S. Open because all the Americans on here that are listening to us, which is currently zero right now, but okay. eventually down the road or be like, why, are, why don't you like the U.S. Open? Uh, I really like the U.S. Open. Okay. Um, I think that would be the second tournament that, uh, like, were I to only have two tournaments, it would be, it okay. would be Wimbledon. So rank them. So all right, so you we got rank yours. Wimbledon. Yeah. Yep. Oh, man, I'm like, you guys are going to think I'm all over the place. Wimbledon, U.S., um, French, and Australian. And I know I talked about how much <laughs> I liked the Australian Open earlier, but I'm telling you, I like it as a gateway drug. Okay. okay. Um. Again, for it's me, like it was like... the marijuana of tennis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. the marijuana of tennis. And now we totally know what our next sponsor is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think 
the U.S. Open. So I've never been to the U.S. Open before. Mm-hmm. I've never been to a Grand Slam tournament Neither before. Neither have I. Um, uh, many other smaller tournaments, but never a Grand Slam. And in some ways, that's inexcusable because, you know, New York is not that far from Washington, D.C. <clears throat> um, it would be relatively easy to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just never happened. And I think what's so cool about the U.S. Open in how I think it's both translated in the media and then also, you know, just talking to people who've been there, who go regularly, players and commentators there. I think maybe in a lot of ways it takes on the character of the city mm-hmm. more than any other tournament. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, we talk about loving Wimbledon because it's elegant and polished and filled with tradition. I love the U.S. Open because it is none of those things. It is greedy and loud and sweaty and, um, I think some players can get frustrated sometimes, right? Because in, in, in one aspect, you know, you have you, the polished uniform, you have these, these very strict rules that you have to follow at Wimbledon. The U.S. Open, it's like, it's so much more of um, this, like, this sweaty, hot frenzy, and it's electric and awesome, and um, I love that, 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 the idea of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny, too, because, uh, like, whatever they call it, Arthur Ashe Stadium mm-hmm. or whatever the complex is, actually isn't even in Manhattan. That's right. It's on Long Island. Uh, We're going to have to go check hey, that one. Yeah, <laughs> did our research before. That. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's, yeah, I, so I'll say this about the U.S. Open. Uh, it's, remi- and this is going to sound, this is really deep analysis, on, but it's it. the most American version of tennis if that makes sense well okay so what i'm trying to say is that it's by far the biggest stadium Mm -hmm. i would say Mm -hmm. and i think what i like about wimbledon is the intimate nature of the stadium yeah and that there's actually not that many people there like if you're sitting at the top exclusive it's exclusive yeah right but like, if you're sitting at the top of Arthur Ashe Stadium, you cannot see shit. Nope. And sorry for swearing, but, like, I've seen pictures up there, and I'm like, I would never pay to go unless I was, like, lower bowl or something like that. But because it, okay, like, right, it, it, Wimbledon is so much more exclusive, but you can get tickets to the U.S. Open for not that much money. But I would, I would still rather, like, my TV is way better than paying even 25 bucks to sit in the last row. And I get like the, you'd probably go and have a blast and like the, there would be an insane amount of energy in the right. place. I just think like, it's it's such like an American thing to be like, let's build bigger and yeah. bigger and bigger rather than like, let's keep it really kind of intimate. And again, I'll bring up the masters, maybe my last time. Mm, definitely not your last time. I went there like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And it's, uh, the way they do it is so cool and intimate. Mm-hmm. They, uh, you, if, if you get tickets, you have tickets for life. And so it's like all the same people that have experienced all the memories See, with you. See, that's weird to me. That. But it's so cool. Because it's like, remember 12 years ago when Phil Mickelson hit that hole-in-one? So we were all sitting there. As someone who doesn't follow golf closely then, like how, what's the, the in? To the masters then right like if it's if you if you sort of like travel along in the years with these this cohort for yeah. better or for worse of people who you're experiencing with yep. over time like how like is it easy to to get into a new co- cohort or like how does that work so this is a, this is what i know and this is golf tangent so <laughs> uh 
so you get tickets for life to the Masters, and they're impossible to get, right? They, like, uh, once you die, you cannot actually um, give them to your kids, so they go back into whatever the list. So okay. you could be on, like, I've tried to get on the wait list to just get tickets, yeah. and the wait list isn't open. There's, like, a 10-year wait list, and then... The waitlist for the wait, whatever. So they they'll open it up randomly, and like a few people can yeah. get in, and then you have like ten years, and then you might be able to access whatever. Uh, and so it makes it one like you know just pretty hard. If you yeah. get caught selling your tickets, mm-hmm. you automatically lose your privi- privileges. Yeah, you can't buy tickets ever again. But I like the kind of almost camaraderie that people would build. Is that you know you have people that have been going for sixty or seventy years sitting in the exact same location around the exact same people and not that that really applies to tennis because i think that would be weird but like it was just very cool to be at like an event where like everyone knew each other and it was almost like your friends your kind of pseudo friends that Mm -hmm. you see every year at the masters or something like that. so i think one of the reasons we started this podcast though right was to make tennis kind of not such a walled garden yeah Right. Yeah, that might be a good point. Yeah. yeah. But I think <laughs> it was more of like I like the intimate nature and that they don't yeah. like I've been to a US Open golf tournament and there's like 50, 60,000 people on a golf course and it's nuts. Yeah. You can't see anything. The Masters is like 20,000 and you can get like very good um, you know, right on the railing and right next to these players. But maybe that's why, you know, I think maybe in the grand scheme of things, these are both really, um, like, strong points for what the game can be, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, it provides different opportunities depending on what different people are looking for and the different experiences that they want to go after. Right. And one of the things, one of the many things that I do love about the U.S. Open tennis tournament is it does feel like, you know, you, you, you can take your kids there if you really want, right? Like, okay, uh, it's in Queens, by the way. I looked that one up. Queens. Um, you know, like, it, it's one of those rare opportunities where, um, I, you know, you and I talked a little bit about this this earlier before we started recording, but for a lot of sports, like, and baseball keeps coming to mind, right? It's, you know, like, family day, go out to the ball game, enjoy it. Everyone, everyone loves baseball, right? And there's not a lot of that in tennis, mm-hmm. right, to to get exposed to tennis, you really have to go out of your way. And what I like about the US Open is that it that there's such a low barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. And you can just it's just it feels so accessible. It's like the the everyday person can go. It doesn't feel super um, you know, fancy or weird or like you're gonna be rejected if you don't know what's going on. Yep. I mean I think to your point and it was a really good point is that the four grand slams embody like the city that they're in Mm -hmm. or the country that they're in right like just the u.s open is so much embodies like i feel like the american vision for how sports should be uh i would i don't i can't speak for the the british but i would assume that wimbledon embodies how they wish all sports would be um and so yeah i mean i think that's you know, I, I guess that I'm more of like, sometimes less is more when it comes to, you know, it's instead of like building out, it's, and maybe that sounds like really insular or whatever, kind of, I don't know. It was just, uh, 
yeah, there's something about the U.S. Open that I'm not as uh, interested in. I don't know. Well, maybe it's because you like, you know, we know America so well. Yeah. <laughs> right? We're, yeah. we're around conspicuous consumption and bigger is better all the time. Right. And maybe something that's different than that is refreshing and a nice, you know, breath of fresh air. Yep. Maybe. All right. Last one that we haven't talked about. Oh, no. What do we got for me? French Open. French Open. Yeah. You want to talk about the French Open already? Well, You're feeling it? So this might be the tournament that I know least about, honestly. Okay. Well, that basically the Australian and the French are kind of like the same thing. I will say that I love France. I've been there twice. Recently. Last year. Yeah. Uh, it's probably one of my new favorite countries okay. that I've It's been visited. around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's been around, it's been around <laughs> for just a bit of time. But uh, it's like amazing food, amazing culture, amazing people. Uh, and so I assume that if I went to the French Open, I might like it the most. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think they serve, you know, cheese and baguettes there? Yes. I mean, what what else is there to get in uh, in France? Um, when you were there, did, did, did were you able to make it over near Roland Garros at all, or no? Not at all. Okay. No. I uh, I I didn't. I think the most intriguing thing is like clay. I feel like clay is the hardest surface to find. Yeah. You know more about this. But a little versus bit. Versus grass and clay, but. I have feel you, like have yeah. you ever played on a clay court before? No, okay. and that's what kind of scares me is it's like slippery mm-hmm. and the ball bounce is really weird. Yep. Uh, we should what we should really do is do an entire podcast about clay courts yeah. and all the, the yeah. different surfaces. I think um, I have played on only one clay court in my life, um, and it was at Penn State University. I used to wow. go to tennis camp up there, and they have. Um, at least one clay court. They might have. They have more than one. Um, I wonder if that's. Do Do you think most colleges have all no, three? No, no, not at all. I think it's unusual. Hmm. Um, but that was the first time I had played up there. Or I'm sorry, I had played on clay uh, in high school, and it's so weird. Yeah. It is so weird. Uh, it's an entirely different game, and obviously. Uh, you know, not every player is able to excel on all surfaces, and I, I really just. Nadal on clay is it's it's amazing. Would you it's say it's amazing. the hardest uh, surface to play on? I've never played on grass. Oh, so so I don't know. So, but harder than obviously hard court, you would say, or just different. Well, you know, if, maybe if I had grown up playing on clay my entire life, yeah. then I wouldn't think so. It's it's just it's um. It's hard, right? It's 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 a difficult surface to play on, and you know the ball gets dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, if if it's wet, you're kind of like sinking into the ground a little bit. It's it's a challenging surface to play on, but there is something about it that also feels like um, I don't know. Like you're it's it's earthier. You like it's kind of nice to get dirty sometimes, and. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, French Open would be pretty cool. We should take a field trip there. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we'll be doing the podcast live from the French Open. That's the goal, is to be live at most of the Grand Slams down the road. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my thing with Clay is that, like, as an athlete or a former athlete, uh, you know, when I, like, like, I would say cut or when I'm, like, reaching for something and plant my foot, I want my foot to stop. Yeah. And with clay, you have like 
a stop after like a two foot slide or something. It just looks like brutal you need to cleats. try to do that. But are they wearing cleats? No, and that's yeah. another thing that we should do a podcast on is like different types of tennis shoes, right? Because you're going to need different shoes whether you're on clay or on grass or on hard court. Yeah. That's how much I know about tennis. I didn't well, I, I am just assuming that because I only own one pair of tennis shoes. But <laughs> again, I don't play on clay or grass much. Yeah. Um, but... I think that's a great point when you're sliding. Like you can't just, you know, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's just dirty. Like the I French. think we should try We should, dirty. we should try to find a clay court in the DC area. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know. Not that winter is a great that. time to do that, but <laughs> yeah, it's very it would cool more be like now. a snow court at this point. Yeah. And we, we can play uh, ice hockey, Ooh. ice tennis. And you know, one of the other things I was going to bring up that I think gets probably brought up a lot but I look at, so if you think about like what are the most popular sports right now in terms of like, okay, there's viewership, which like the NFL is like probably yeah. off the charts. But the one that's actually I love watching is soccer because you know it's uh, 90 minutes plus yeah. like a 10 or 20 minute halftime or whatever and you're done. Right. So it's a two hour spot and you're like, yep. boom, done. And you can plan around it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Football, three to three and a half hours. Quite long. Baseball, anywhere from two to four or five. Yeah. With tennis, I feel like the American sports fans' like attention span gets all thrown off because you're either expected... You could be there for like a women's match and it could be in 59 minutes. Right. Serena Williams wins 6-0, 6-0 against some random first seed. Could be less than that. Yeah. Yeah. But then you have like these marathon five or six hour matches, which are the best matches, but you don't have time to sit there well, and watch. Well, what's, what's so interesting about that, right? Okay, let's go back to Americans in tennis and like when, you know, people, Americans get that glimmer of interest, right? You have John Isner, mm-hmm. right? In that crazy, crazy marathon match um, years ago. and Like Nicholas Mahout or whatever. Yep, exactly. Nicholas yeah. Mahout. And... Um, it's so interesting, right? You talk about like Americans' attention spans and, you know, that's just one total extreme where it was so ridiculous that all of a sudden everyone in America knew who John Isner was. Right. Um, you know, this kid out of Georgia who was suddenly, you know, on the court for, yeah. what was it, like 11 hours? I mean, that's the that only reason I know who he is. I mean, he, he's like 6'9". Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I feel like he's one of, I mean, he's a decent, I would consider decent tennis player. He's never going to be like a probably a top five or top ten player necessarily, uh, but everyone will know him. I know him as a semi-casual tennis fan purely because, because of, that. of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Um, yeah. So, anything else you I, wanted to bring up? I Is think that I think this this might conclude episode one of of Victory Labs. Whoa! Any big bold predictions for twenty sixteen on the tennis front? Do you think Serena Williams is going to win the Grand Slam this year? No. I do not. Do you? Uh, no, I'm predicting two of four. I think she's kind of like I, all these, and maybe she's just really good at this, but she always gets injured in like, you know, getting out of tournaments right before big tournaments. Mm-hmm. And so I would assume that's probably not really an injury and just kind of like preparing. Yeah, I think a lot of it's preparing, um, you know, just trying to not be risky with stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We'll see what happens with her this year. I on the men's side, I'm actually really interested to see um, what happens with um, Grigor Dimitrov. Mm-hmm. I think this could be a year where he uh, gets a lot of mobility. So sweet, yeah, no clue who that is, but yeah, we'll, Grigor we'll Dimitrov. Talk about it. Baby fed. You're gonna be crushing it. Uh, awesome. All right. All right. I, th- I think we. Uh, I think we did okay. We did it. One take, two, kinda maybe. We might dub over some stuff. At some point, we'll do sort of an outtakes uh, episode. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Victory Lobs. You can follow us on Twitter at Victory Lobs or email us victorylobspodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you.